The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the Phoenix, Arizona metropolitan area, specifically the city of Scottsdale, Arizona, where the city leaders there are trying to change their dispensary medical marijuana distance rules. You know, we find these in a lot of the states, whether they be legal states or medical states, these laws that require a a facility that's selling marijuana to be located X number of feet from so-called sensitive locations. Usually in these cases, we're talking about schools and churches and residential areas. The idea being we don't want to have the pot shops right next to those places because um, because something terrible happens, apparently. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I've never understood why we had to keep the pot shop a thousand feet from the school uh, when the kids can't go into the pot shop. There's there's ID being checked there. Uh, I've never understood why the convenience store, the 7-Eleven, can be right across the street from the school and sell beer and tobacco and chewing tobacco and all sorts of candy and sodas and stuff. That can be right across from the school, but we can't have the pot shop. But nonetheless, we have these rules. Let's say they usually have to be a 1,000 feet from the sensitive areas. Well, the story I'm reading on Arizona Central now, first of all, it makes a huge deal of the fact that the number of dispensaries in the Scottsdale, Arizona city limits have more than doubled over the past year. Shocking, I know. More than double the number of pot shops. They went from two to five. (laughs) That's the the shock. Oh my God, you went from two to five. Now, just for our uh, references sake here, the population of Scottsdale, Arizona, for the five pot shops that they have uh, going for them right now. Population of Scottsdale, Arizona, according to the Google machine, is 226,000 people, almost 227,000 people. Scottsdale is just a small part of the Phoenix, Glendale, Mesa, Tempe kind of metro area that is probably about one and a half, two million people total. So we're talking about five pot shops that these people are freaking out about. And part of what they're freaking out about is that three, these three new dispensaries that have opened up in Scottsdale have an open, have opened up all in the same basic area near the Scottsdale airport. And, and these stories and the people that are complaining about this placement, this concentration of pot shops have absolutely no sense of irony. Because these are the same people that require the pot shops to be so many feet away from all the sensitive locations that the only places you can put the pot shop is by the airport or some industrial zone. Here's what it is. The Scottsdale restricts any new dispensaries to industrial, office, or medical campus zoning districts, and... They must operate 1,320 feet away from each other. Not 1,000 feet, 1,320, because obviously if the shops were within 1,000 feet of each other, chaos would ensue. That extra 320 feet, apparently, is all that's keeping us from pot zombies roaming the streets. I don't know. I don't know what the fear is. But that's not the worst that we have in that area. Scottsdale's actually one of the few places that's approving these new places. The city council approved those three. Meanwhile, you take a look at 
Phoenix, Arizona, and their main laws there still require a full mile of separation between dispensaries, 5,280 feet, because 1,000 feet isn't enough, and, and 1,320 feet, well, that might be good enough for Scottsdale. But we got to get these things 5,280 feet away from each other. Otherwise, again, chaos would ensue. And a quarter mile from the churches, from the schools, right? Quarter mile, let's see, 5280 divided by four. Was that 1,700? Uh, no, it's 16. Whatever it is, it's more than 1,000. <laughs> 1,200 feet, 1,300 feet, right? 1,320 maybe. So yeah, got to be a quarter mile from not just the schools, and the churches, but also homeless centers, homeless shelters, youth centers, and daycare centers. So you require these things to be a mile from each other, a quarter mile from all these other places, 500 feet from residential areas. And then the only places left are these small little strips of land in unwanted, way off the beaten path industrial zones. So you find all of the licensees start congregating in these small zones, and then you say, oh, my God, we've got this this concentration of all these pot shops. Well, yeah, what did you expect was going to happen? It's time for us to end these stupid barrier rules. Hey, bud, <laughs> let's party. <laughs> you know, every time I hear about these halo rules of how far a pot shop has to be from some sensitive location I like to go onto Google Street View and just see how many porn shops and liquor stores and taverns and bars and massage parlors are within that same zone I'm usually not disappointed alright we're going to take a break we'll be right back stick around Forming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. Today for Government of Work, we're going to split this up into two segments. We'll begin with a short intro by Steve Marks from the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. They're in charge of rolling out regulations for adult-use marijuana in Oregon. We'll follow that up with the mayor of Coquille, Oregon. Thank you. I promised to only take a few minutes, and uh, I'm still trying to catch my breath. I was slow getting here. I came here because I was a little bit anxious. Last weekend, I called down and said, geez, could you make time if I could make it down there? I got some plans, but I might change them. I'm just a little anxious because, you know, we're here. We're supposed to be licensing. It's starting to move. And maybe my sense is, you know, it's not clicking quite as fast as I expected. It's going well. It's going good. But, you know, for a host of reasons, we waited for the session and got that done. Uh, and then, you know, there's some legal issues with the new legislation. Uh, the waiver process we put in place, you know, took a learning exercise to be able to execute uh, those permits for those growers. But we're ready to go. We're going to issue the first uh, grower licenses on the 29th, and that's very exciting for us. Our commission, because of uh, the questions about the legislation, is going to be meeting weekly to uh, approve licenses until we can enact our authority. And I'll tell you just a bit about that, even though... 
I don't actually have the legal advice. I think what's going to happen here is we're going to execute our authorities under this uh, 2016 legislation starting the beginning of June, about June 2nd or 3rd. So we'll be able to do the non-resident licenses and implement all of those authorities at that point. Uh, it's important for me that you hear this from us. We've been transparent all the way through. It's a little bit of bump in the road here. Uh, but we can still process those and be ready to issue those licenses quickly. So I wanted you to uh, have a sense of that. We'll explain more on the 29th. I hope to have the legal advice then and be able to be determinative of how, how we're going to move forward. But uh, I want to say we changed our mission. Our mission now at the OLCC is to support businesses, public safety, and community livability through education and enforcement of Oregon's liquor and marijuana laws. So you're part of our core responsibility. We want to execute it well. We want to make sure we issue you good, durable licenses. Uh, so look forward to it. And this panel uh, is able going to be able to tell you about what we're doing. Thank you very much. We're back with part two of our Government at Work segment, introducing the mayor of Coquille, Oregon, Matt Rao, the youngest mayor in the state of Oregon from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Yeah, this is the second time I've gotten to speak at one of Alex's conferences, and I love it every time. The production value, the theme music, it's great. I got to say, I got to pay my friend before it sounds like too much of a mutual admiration society. Uh, Alex Rogers does a hell of a job with these conferences. He works his butt off. That's why these things make money. He provides a solid product. He promotes it. And he gives you your money's worth. So let's hear it for Alex. Now, as Alex mentioned, we're old college buddies. And, you know, as you can tell, he might be a little bit hipper than me. I'm a little square, maybe. But... It takes all kinds, as he tells me. And uh, I was going to say, though, I've had the privilege of being the mayor of my hometown of Coquille for the last three and a half years. And in that time, when I first ran, I had no idea that cannabis would become one of the marquee issues of my tenure in office. When I first ran, I was focused on paving uh, potholes, filling vacant storefronts, and balancing budgets without raising taxes, which I'm proud to say we've done all three of those things. But the unexpected surprise of my second term was the legalization of recreational marijuana. And i got to say, I've always been pro-cannabis legalization. I've always been for it. I've never ducked it. And I want to say I'm a pro-cannabis mayor. One of the things that frustrates me, especially in this delicate transition period we're in as far as cultural mores on cannabis, is we have so many elected officials uh, we've got some courageous people with us, like Senator Przanski here today, but we've got so many elected officials who go, well, yeah, I'm for it. I think it's stupid that it's illegal. It was stupid. Uh, and yet they won't come out and say it. They won't say that we need to embrace this industry, that this industry can revitalize Oregon's economy, especially in rural areas, and the people in this audience are the pioneers who can do it. So in my first term as mayor, there was a silly bill that the legislature kicked down that allowed communities to ban medical marijuana dispensaries. Now, if you do a Google search on my name, full disclosure, you'll see that I voted in the affirmative for an, what was it, six-month moratorium in my community. Now, what the vote doesn't show is that I voted for that because my city council promised me, if we passed it, that we would pass a comprehensive marijuana plan for a dispensary in our community and not try and shut them out. 
So after our six months were up and over, I was able to persuade our city council to just stick to the state minimums, make our community work, and make it a cannabis-friendly community. And I'm pleased to say that we are still that way today, even after the passage of legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, we've held back the forces of reaction, and we've stood up for progress, and we have said we are open for business. And I'm pleased to say our little Berg is getting our first marijuana dispensary in one month, and I'm very excited about it. Now... Not all mayors feel the way I do, especially in my part of the state. Uh, if you look, you'll probably see I'm the only one that speaks out overwhelmingly in favor of this emerging industry and praises it for being something that could be the best thing to happen to rural Oregon since we started extract uh, logging and things of those natures that built rural Oregon to begin with. A lot of those same mayors wish we could go back to those old days of working the land and extracting resources that we could go back to logging the federal forests beyond sustainable yield. Now, i got to tell you, as a candidate who's been endorsed by the Associated Oregon Loggers in the past, who's worked with their hands in lumber mills, who comes from the timber industry, I love the timber industry. I know not everybody does, but I do. I appreciate what it's done for Oregon historically. That a, my grandfather, with an eighth-grade education, could come up from Oklahoma and work with his hands and apply himself and not just be a grunt stuck at the bottom like we see too often in our economy today, but he could work himself up. That's what I see about this emerging industry, that people in the cannabis industry, it's, an, it's a meritocracy. It's an industry where you can come up and work your way up and make money and rise to the top. And that's why I firmly believe that this industry isn't just needed in rural Oregon, but it's essential for rural Oregon. And I think the progress of this industry needs rural Oregon to thrive as much as it can. Because as we've seen in some of our suburban cities, they've been very tough on processing, on grows. Well, the one thing we do have in rural Oregon is a lot of land. And, and uh, i got to tell you, I think if you look at how badly our area needs revenue and jobs, I can't understand why any city, regardless of if it's east or west of the Cascades, north or south of Eugene why they would stick their nose up at jobs and revenue and entrepreneurship. It is maddening, and we need to break away from this cultural stigma and finally move into the right attitude that the cannabis industry is a partner in progress as opposed to a pest to be hindered. When we look at the southwestern region of the state where I come from, and in Lane County we see this too, that there's no adequate funding for public safety. We see violent criminals, repeat offenders for drug, hard drug-related crimes, not cannabis, for theft, for assault, for rape, getting released on their own recognizances. The district attorney in my county told me a month ago, he said, Matt, I had to let a guy out on rape one the night he was arrested. It's unbelievable. It's disgusting. And yet, in many of these counties, our elected leaders aren't embracing industry that can generate badly needed revenue to lock up crooks, to prosecute crooks, to pave roads, to bring progress. Now, one thing Alex didn't mention is that I'm currently running for Coos County Treasurer in my neck of the woods. It'll be the first occasion that anybody in my region of the state 
has tried to move up to countywide office with such progressive cannabis policy positions. And I think, and I'm honest about this in my race for treasurer, for Coos County to get out of its long-term financial problems, we need to stop longing for a lady that left us long ago in the timber industry. And I love the timber industry, but she's not ever coming back the way she was. And maybe embrace a new lady, a lady that's green and still works the land. It's just a little bit different. And it can create jobs and prosperity and wealth for everybody who's willing to hustle and work and make something of themselves. It's not just the processing and the growing. You all know this. There's all these emerging industries to service it. And when we think of that and think of what other options there are for rural Oregon, I will take cannabis over an LNG plant any day of the week. So what's not to like? Jobs, revenue, jails to lock up actual violent crooks, tools to prosecute violent crooks, paved roads. It's unbelievable. This, this industry is waiting to generate wealth and give money to government for vital services. And yet certain politicians still turn away and stick their nose up and go, well, that's not the kind of money we like. Well, heck. Apparently... Canadian multinational gas pipelines that steal people's lands and pollutes and runs industry out of the area is the kind of money they like. So as you can see, I'm a little bit outspoken, and I see Alex is signaling me we're a little bit short on time. I wanted to save some time for questions and answers to talk about some of the attitudes in my region of the state. And so we've got about five minutes. As you can see, I'm a little bit outspoken. Uh, so I'll give you the straight answer from my point of view on where the industry's at in my region of the state as far as government's concerned. So let's open it up to questions. Matt, have you had any luck uh, convincing folks at the League of Cities to start moving in your direction? You know what's funny? I have had this argument for about the last 17 months regularly. Every time I can go to the Mayor's Association or meet with some of the board members for the League or the Mayor's Association. And it started out as I being the only person in the room who would advocate against the, in my opinion, very regressive actions of the League. And by the way, you'll meet no greater defender of home rule authority for cities than I, do, I, I am. But there's, home rule is meant for things other than this. It wasn't meant for cannabis regulation. Cities can't regulate liquor. They can't regulate a whole slew of businesses. This is the red-headed stepchild, according to them, and this is the one thing where they apparently allow you to violate people's civil rights and freedoms of choice. I think it's funny, you know, where Senator Ferrioli pushed for that opt-out legislation. <laughs> you know, the people in Eastern Oregon probably don't believe in marriage equality or um, abortion choice either. So should they be able to ban those there too? Rights are rights, regardless of where you live. This is the United States of America. But to answer your question, more mayors and more counselors are coming along, and I've got a feeling the League of Oregon Cities, when we elect our new board of directors in Salem later this year, are going to have a very different position. My name is Rebecca. Um, in my experience, rural populations are really dedicated to their beliefs, and it takes more than just talk about money to change people's minds and change culture and reduce stigma. Do you have 
um, any suggestions for for strategies to to help change people's minds? Well, I'll just say, <clears throat> I think it's the politicians that are more out of touch than the communities. Coos County voted 60% for marijuana legalization. It's their politicians who are the ones that are trying to bottle it up. Curry County, more conservative to the south on the California border. 56% of them voted for legalization. It's their politicians who are bottling it up. Coos Bay, the biggest city in my county, voted 63% for marijuana legalization. And yet they're referring a ban to the people in November. Now let me ask you folks, I thought there was a vote on it. They voted yes. <laughs> Silly. But I will say, I think part of it is advocacy, showing how responsible this industry can be, putting its best foot forward, getting trade associations like in Douglas County, there's the Umqua Cannabis Association. In Coos County, there's the Coos County Cannabis Community. And they're going out there, and they're putting themselves out there, and they're showing that the cannabis industry is a good community partner. And I think that's eventually going to show and change attitudes. I also think, though, much like with marriage equality, and I know these are two very different issues, but a lot of people who were opposed to gay marriage, the day after it was legalized in Oregon, they realized the world hadn't ended. Well, I think a lot of, if you took the vote on cannabis legalization today, there would be far more votes in favor because they realized little Johnny didn't become a heroin addict. The world is not over. And as a matter of fact, we've made it tougher for drug cartels to do business and easier for entrepreneurs. So that's my opinion. Thank you. We have time for one more. Does anybody have one more question? All right. Well, then fine, then. <laughs> Let's hear it again for the mayor. Yo, give it up for Matt Rao. Thank you mayor very Coquille. much. And if you want to donate to his treasury campaign, you can do it at registration right out there. Any bucks help this guy. Help this guy. He needs it. He's our, he's our champion right here. So thanks, Matt. We appreciate you, brother. We could use more politicians like Matt Rao, the mayor of Coquille, Oregon, and maybe the next treasurer of Coos County, Oregon. This is something I hope uh, more of our listeners take to heart. Uh, the idea that we can start this revolution that we're all talking about at the local level. You can be a city treasurer or a councilman or a precinct captain, work your way up to a county commissioner or be on some advisory board. We need more of us in these positions of power, even at these low levels, and that starts to build support from the lower levels up to the higher levels. And then pretty soon what we believe becomes the conventional wisdom. All right, speaking of upending conventional wisdom, Dr. Carl Hart, coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. 
Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, April 27, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. We're coming to you live and direct from beautiful South Carolina, the Palmetto State. My first time in South Carolina. Got to go to dinner last night with friends and see the beautiful downtown Anderson, South Carolina, named after General Anderson. I understand, a Confederate general. It's always interesting to me uh, seeing Confederate monuments and and those sorts of things when I'm traveling in the South. Uh, my perspective as someone who didn't grow up in this area is quite different on those issues. And so it's kind of weird uh, seeing that stuff. But uh, just part of our cultural heritage here in America, something we all have to uh, understand and learn. So anyway, speaking of our cultural heritage, that would be hemp cannabis and marijuana. We've had hemp on this continent since 1611. We've had medical marijuana as it was understood since 1850. We've had recreational cannabis use since the 1900s. We're fighting here to end marijuana prohibition on the Russ Belleville show. And that's why I'm here in the South this week as part of an East Coast Cannabis Coalition, Unity Cipher, which is a, a torch run that started in Portland, Maine, and it's making its way all the way down the East Coast, stopping in each state and the activists there holding various events. The most recent one in North Carolina, in uh, Raleigh, was a huge success, a prescription pill bottle drop and demonstration that had thousands that turned out. Uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina is where the uh, torch will be tonight at 6 p.m. So right now they are uh, celebrating in Rock Hill. And then tomorrow morning in the capital, Columbia, South Carolina, is where the torch will be. And I will be there to uh, bring you some coverage of that event from Charles or from uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And then tomorrow we'll be taking the torch to Atlanta, Georgia, and meeting up with other activists in that area. The torch will then make its way to Jacksonville, Florida by small private plane. I won't be going to Jacksonville, though. I'm going to hop all the way down to Miami, Florida, and I'll catch the torch when it reaches there in the first week of May. Also, don't forget, coming up on Saturday, May 7th, it's the Global Cannabis March all around the world, over 300 cities taking place, and I'll be joining the folks in Fort Worth, Texas on Saturday, May 7th for that Global Cannabis March, my third time in Texas, and the 11th anniversary of my activism. I started in marijuana activism at a Global Cannabis March, May 7th, 2005. That's where I met Madeline Martinez and got involved with Oregon Normal. Hope the rest of you out there have as much luck as I do in getting involved in marijuana activism. Coming up on today's show, all sorts of great stuff to recount from, again, my trips uh, through the East and West. Uh, we're going to stick to the West this time and the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference that took place in Eugene, Oregon this Sunday. Uh, we're going to hear from Steve Marks of the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. He spoke briefly at the event. We'll also hear from the mayor of Coquille, Oregon, Matt Rao. He spoke at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Those will be featured in our Government at Work segment. And then at the end, where we'd normally put the radical rant, we have a cannabinoid medicine update featuring a clip from Dr. Carl Hart, who delivered the keynote address. Uh, he's going to explain to you why crack and coke, meth and Adderall, are basically the same drugs, and why we shouldn't demonize users of other drugs, even if they aren't 
as safe as cannabis. And then stay tuned at Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio will take your calls. Plus, I've got an exclusive clip, a highlight from an interview with Tommy Chong that was conducted this Sunday at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Plus, we'll look at zoning in the Phoenix metro area in Behind the Headlines, but the news is next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, April 27, 2016. Augusta, Maine. State officials announced Wednesday that a proposed initiative to end marijuana prohibition in Maine has officially qualified for the November ballot. After a court-ordered review of petitions it had previously invalidated, the Maine Secretary of State's office determined that the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol submitted more than the 61,123 signatures that were needed to qualify. Last month, the Secretary of State informed the campaign that the initiative had been disqualified because only 51,543 valid signatures had been submitted. The campaign filed a lawsuit challenging the decision, and a Kennebec County Superior Court judge ruled in their favor earlier this month after learning state officials invalidated more than 5,000 petitions, which included more than 17,000 signatures from Maine voters that were validated by town clerks without actually reviewing every petition in question. The petition was then remanded to the Secretary of State's office to review all of the disputed petitions and determine whether enough signatures were collected. According to a new poll released this week by the Maine People's Resource Center, nearly 54% of likely voters would approve the initiative if the election were held today. Only about 42% said they would oppose it. Anchorage, Alaska. Alaska will soon become the first state in the nation to allow customers to smoke pot and consume marijuana edibles at authorized retail stores. But rules governing this are still being hammered out, with state regulators set to consider regulations near the end of Wednesday's meeting of the Marijuana Control Board in Anchorage. Any recommendations would be subject to public comment. Among the items regulators will consider Wednesday will be deciding how to separate smoking areas in stores from the sales side. And then there's the question of what happens to the pot you buy to smoke or eat on the premises, but don't finish. No licenses have been issued yet for retail marijuana shops. Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge has approved a petition to legalize marijuana in the natural state. The Arkansas Cannabis Amendment would create unlimited $30 state licenses for any adult 21 and older to cultivate, produce, distribute, and sell marijuana and marijuana products. All cannabis plants would be tagged by the state at the cost of $6 per tag, limited to 36 tags per license per year. The amendment would also establish medical marijuana available to all patients of any age, free from the 5% excise tax that will be applied to adult-use marijuana. The amendment also calls for the release of all nonviolent marijuana offenders and expungement of their records. Activists have until July 8th to submit 84,859 valid signatures, and in at least 15 of Arkansas's 75 counties, supporters must gather signatures matching at least 5% of the votes cast in the previous gubernatorial election. Sacramento, California. 
A California Democrat is pushing a bill that would extend a 2011 law to allow landlords to ban cannabis smoking, including medical marijuana, in their rentals. Jim Wood, an assemblyman from Healdsburg, proposed Assembly Bill 2300 in response to what he believes is the danger of secondhand cannabis smoke, saying, quote, Secondhand smoke, regardless of whether it's smoke from tobacco or marijuana, is especially problematic in multi-unit apartments and condos because the smoke easily travels the windows, doors, and other ventilation systems. It's a nuisance that tenants should not have to live with, end quote. Wood pointed to recent research at UC San Francisco claiming that secondhand cannabis smoke is as damaging to the cardiovascular system as secondhand tobacco smoke. The Assembly Judiciary Committee passed AB 2300 unanimously, and it now awaits a reading before the full assembly. Lansing, Michigan. The Michigan House moved Tuesday to get a recommendation on setting a legal limit for driving under the influence of marijuana. Legislation approved 107 to 1 and sent to the Senate would create a state commission to study and recommend a threshold of THC bodily content that would constitute evidence of impaired driving. THC is the component of marijuana responsible for most of the drug's effects. Unlike other Schedule 1 drugs, THC can be detected in the body long after its effects have dissipated. Michigan's vehicle law prohibits driving with any detectable amount of Schedule 1 substance in the body, but medical marijuana purposes are are not covered under that law. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, April 27th, 2016. I'm Russ Belleville.